me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 48 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I am your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. On this episode, I'm joined by Howie Abrams. Howie is the author of the book, The ABCs of Metallica, as well as many other music-related books that you will hear about in this interview. On top of all that, prior to becoming an author, he is also the former head of NFX Records and a former A&R executive at major labels such as Roadrunner and Jive. He has worked with bands like Agnostic Front, Madball, and many, many others that you will also hear about. And he is also a massive Metallica fan. He first saw them in 1983. He has been a fan since the early years. We cover a lot of ground in this interview. It is really, really a great interview about his career and about our favorite band, Metallica. So here is my conversation with Howie Abrams. My guest today is the former head of Ineffect Records and a former A&R executive for labels such as Roadrunner and Jive. He's currently a writer and the author of the book, The ABCs of Metallica. Please welcome to Metallicast, Howie Abrams. Howie, how are you? I'm doing well, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. I'm very excited for this conversation. You've had such a diverse career uh, in the music industry and now as a writer so I'm really looking forward to diving into all of it, but I'm really interested. I know we were talking a little bit on Twitter and by email before uh, scheduling this. And I know from that conversation, you are a longtime Metallica fan. Uh, please, I would love to hear how you got into the band and when that was. Yeah. So, I mean, one of my favorite bands by far to this day. Um, I probably first became aware of them uh, with Metal Massacre 1 on Metal Blade. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, so, you know, Hit the Lights was on there with a very different lineup and the misspelling on the yeah. name of the band, right? So, <laughs> Two T's, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, too, because, like, you know, you didn't really notice it at the time because people didn't really know who they were. Sure, so, yeah. You know, I was like, I guess that's how they spell it, right? So, um, <laughs> but then later on you find out that it was a misspelling and yeah. then they corrected it so there was a second uh prepping i guess of the album where it was corrected yeah you saw the correct spelling afterwards you're like they spelled it wrong on this one <laughs> yeah right, right, right. It's it right, spelled well, with two t's exactly <laughs> so, so i heard that that was my first you know real introduction to the band and yeah. you know i was obviously you know just sort of a young metalhead like looking for everything and i thought that was such a great idea those comps and um you know yeah, comps sure, were yeah. kind of a big deal uh in europe so i had some some imported compilations right. as well but that was sort of the first one in america that was doing real deal underground metal and sure. you know and i i hadn't even really read much about metallica to that point there wasn't much about them um you know as the story goes obviously you know there was just this slot that you know that brian slagle had for lars for his yeah. band 
you know, right. um, and then enter Ron Quintana with the name and, you know, and, and now they're on this compilation. And I thought Hit the Lights was really cool. I wasn't like, holy shit, blown away. Um, you know, like James' voice was totally different, you know. Sure. Yeah. Um, and it, but what I got out of it was the energy. The energy of it was incredible. And it was a very different kind of energy than the other bands that were on the comp. So, you know, what you were left with is I really want to hear more. And then I did have some friends around me who were much more into tape trading and stuff than I was. And somebody got a hold of No Life to Leather. So, you know, before Kill 'em All, before, you know, any proper album came out, I did hear uh, No Life to Leather, Leather and then awesome. obviously, um, you know, the song on Metal Massacre. So, you know, right. you were like, there's obviously something special going on here. And uh, yeah. again, anybody who says, I knew that they're, you know, they're gonna be whatever, it's like, no, you didn't, you know, don't tell yeah. me things, that's not true. Um, but you knew that there was something different about them and there was yeah. something that set them apart. And, you know, uh, as I was also starting to get more into sort of punk stuff and, you know, bands like the Misfits and things like that, oh, you yeah, saw yeah. that they were incorporating tempos from that right. into their metal so you know it sort of sounded at, at first like kind of a sped up judas priest kind of thing yeah. um but then they started incorporating like the picking style that became the bay area thing and, totally, yeah. and all of that and you started to see it evolve and then you know here here comes kill them all you know yeah. and you know so the first time i saw them which is still like you know I won't say it was by accident, but I definitely didn't go to the show because Metallica was playing. I went to see them, you know, um, and, but now I'd heard of Metallica, you know, right, so sure. I was into seeing them, but you still didn't know very much about them. You didn't know if they were going to stink it up or be great or what, you know? <laughs> um, so, you know, Venom was the number one imported record in the entire country black metal you know right and so this is the first time they ever came to america and johnny z from megaforce had uh, rock and roll heaven and right. he put on the show in staten island and um and metallica opened both nights and so i went to the second night so not the first night where venom blew up the stage um <laughs> it was the second night where they almost didn't get to play and you know and i saw metallica and I thought they were great, you know, and there was, yeah. was super aggressive and they were now the kill them all Metallica. You know, they were, they were sure. what you heard on kill them all was what they were doing. Right. And, you know, so very fast, um, sloppy, you know, but like powerful, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I really liked them, but you know, then venom comes out and it, you know, it, it's venom. It's insane. So, <laughs> but it, it's amazing talking to people now, you know, who were there, and we all dis discussed what our experience with Metallica was, you know, right. that night because, you know, there was a handful of us that knew even that they were on the planet before the show. Yeah. And, you know, and so it was interesting because, you know, at least we're all honest and we weren't saying, oh, my <laughs> God, like I just saw the second coming, you know, like, yeah. you know, you still didn't know that that was what was about to happen. Yeah. Seek and Destroy is going to be a classic. I know it. <laughs> right. It's going to be like the next classic rock song, you know. Right. Um, you know, we, we didn't know. We just knew that we loved, like, the new wave of British heavy metal and anything yeah. underground. And we loved discovering bands. Like, you wanted to yeah. go to school on Monday, 
and and have a band in your back pocket that other people didn't know about you know totally yeah i miss that i remember being you know even though i'm a younger generation i remember being in high school and my buddy and i just always trying to outdo each other like hey did you hear this band hey did you hear this album and you know we'd go to the record stores together in town and just scour for it like you you look for the badass album cover and you're like always, always. I've, never, I've never heard of this band that album cover rules let's take it right. over then sometimes it sucks but a lot of times you're like oh that's pretty bad yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of times you were terribly disappointed right like, <laughs> yeah. great album cover and you're like this is so you know it's yeah. so bon jovi ario speedwagon <laughs> yeah. i'm just not into this <laughs> next <laughs> that happened a few times yeah, so it, you obviously are a big uh, fan of metal and rock in general, and so when what was sort of your entry point to music in general as a fan? I mean, just as a fan, I mean, you know, like my parents didn't play instruments; they weren't huge into music. You know, I remember maybe like AM radio and stuff playing in my house when I was a kid. And, you know, my, my dad was into like big band stuff like Benny Goodman. And sure, things yeah. like that. So, so there was no real influence there other than there being music around. But I mean, my, my gateway was certainly Kiss. Um, and I liked Kiss from the time I was like seven years old. Um, and that was 75. So, you know, this is right when they're becoming the Kiss we know and love as far right. as you know, from live and everything. And that happened by accident because of wrestling magazines, because I was into wrestling and I went with my father to, to the store, you know, so we could get like the the paper, the newspaper. And I would sometimes get a wrestling magazine and next to the wrestling magazines is like cream magazine and circuit operator and whatever else. And there's this freak show on the cover now (laughs) called kiss. And you know, to me, it was like the masked wrestlers and Kiss. So what, like, who are these guys? You know. Yeah. And so I was able to get one of those magazines, and I I read a little bit about Kiss, and shortly thereafter, probably it was it wasn't until I don't know what month in in seventy six, but I wound up getting Destroyer and Alive the same day. Awesome. Um, so I am now eight years old. And so that was like everything and continuing to read those magazines, which I thought were just gold, you know, at the time, Um, especially cream. I've got my, my cream mug. Nice. Yeah. And because I thought that they, they went a little deeper, you know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. just like what's selling on the cover in the magazine. You discovered bands and I discovered Aerosmith, you know, through, through that because they were starting to really come up. I mean, even Parliament Funkadelic, you know, because they were label mates of Kiss, you know, and crazy stage show and all that stuff. I I didn't understand the music, but you know, (laughs) much later I did, but not when I was eight. Sure. Um, And, but, you know, you, you fell upon all this great stuff. And so now I'm like an engaged music fan, you know, that's awesome. And what a per, if you're that age and I, I say this as a professional wrestling fan, if you're a fan of wrestling, if you're a fan of comic books, I mean, what better band to be your introduction than kiss? They are well, literally they wrap it all up in one package. Exactly. Right? It, yeah. It was, like, uh, it was wrestling, you know, in comics with a soundtrack. You know? Right. Right. Totally. And then it sounds like your, uh, I think similar to most people's, your interest sort of 
not that those interests went away, not that you stopped being a Kiss fan, but your interests yeah. grew and got a little bit more extreme and heavier and harder and faster as you got older, correct? For sure. And and yeah. that was also coupled with the fact that, like, I think this happens with a lot of people that got into underground metal and, um, like, hardcore and stuff, which was definitely my, my two wheelhouses, right? Right. Is that <clears throat> you also can't stand what everyone around you likes, um, <laughs> which is a big part. So, like, I never got sucked into the, the Led Zeppelin doors fucking i never got into that stuff i never yeah. liked it and the people who liked it i hated even more uh, <laughs> the music, right so i couldn't stand these people and yeah. so you know because even then like even when i was pretty young like kiss was like a band that some people made fun of right so right. like the older brothers like the serious rock you know they liked <laughs> deep purple sure. and rush and yeah. like progressive you know, bands who could quote unquote play, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't give a shit. Like I, that's not necessarily <laughs> what I'm adapted to. Like I, I don't play an instrument. I never played, you yeah. know, guitar or anything like that. And so, you know, my attraction to it was, was the, the energy and the vibe and the tones, you know, if it had that like dark, angry thing. So I was the only band in that world that meant anything to me was black Sabbath. Yeah. Um, because it was dark and it had that heaviness and, and, you know, your parents probably hated it a lot more than they would have hated <laughs> Zeppelin. Um, um, so, you know, cause the sex in Zeppelin was subtle, whereas, you know, the, right. the, the, the witchcraft and black yeah. Sabbath right Satan there. Satan laughing spreads his right wings. There, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like here it is. So I appreciated that. And then, you know, you start to learn about Maiden, you know, right. and, I was never a big Judas Priest guy because I think by the time I was getting into that, they were kind of big in America. Like their, their sound had changed already, yeah. but Maiden was still a whole other animal. And right. um, you get into Maiden and you hear about Motorhead and you, you know, you're starting to dig deeper and you're into yeah. Saxon and, you know, and various other new wave of British heavy metal bands, which again, like there weren't tons of great new wave of British heavy metal albums. Some of them were great, but like yeah. there were a lot of great singles um, compilations. So you're hearing like a song or two at a time. Right, and then yeah. there were a couple of bands that separated themselves from the pack. Like to me, Saxon was one of those that has yeah. multiple great start to finish albums, you know, right. um, you know, you heard diamond head, you heard, you, know, you heard sure. all of the stuff that was in Kerrang, you know, right. And, and, you know, then you start to, you know, the demo sections from those magazines, right? You have Metal Forces that had a whole demo thing and you had the Pen Pals thing in Kerrang. And, right, you know, yeah. and you start to see like band names that you really don't recognize pop up. And right. later on, Metallica was one of those bands. Yeah. So cool. It, in all that, it, I mean, obviously all that is sort of faded away or transformed, you know, so it's always cool hearing those stories because i i think i was i've said this before on the show, i feel like i was sort of like the last generation who got to experience record stores and music magazines and, and and i honestly i feel very lucky and i miss that part of it you know like i miss being in high school like i was saying going to the store with my buddy and trying to and scouring the shelves and yep. you know it, i i i have nothing against streaming and i think spotify apple music i think it's all great i mean i have all my music in my pocket it's a, unbelievable but mm -hmm. It it's just different scrolling through Apple Music than it is 
you know, scurrying through those shelves and finding those undiscovered bands or reading about a band in a magazine, you know? Well, it was a sport, you know, like it was really, you know, and then comparing notes with the other people you knew who did that. So that was always interesting. Like, oh, I went to, you know, Tower Records and I, you know, I just went through the bins and I found this album cover and then I found out it was the same producer as blah, 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 or, you know, whatever, whatever, however it happened. But what's interesting is I used to like, I used to really like poo poo the current generation. And that's really a mistake because there are so few people who love music as a fan. Now it's such a different mm-hmm. thing. It's been replaced by, by gaming and, and all kinds of other things. And, sure. you know, I have a 12 year old daughter, right? So I watch like her habits and she's not a huge music kid. You know, she, mm-hmm. she likes music and she listens to music, but you know, she's not seeking out music yet. At yeah. least. Um, but you know, she, like, I can't believe that her and her friends, like the, the, with the religion that they play Fortnite, you know, and things like that. But, <laughs> but, you know, because of TikTok and because of all these things, she does discover music. And once in a while, I'll hear a song that I'm like, oh, I'm so glad she's listening to that instead of, <laughs> you know, Bieber, you know, um, like, and it's like a Blondie song or something, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I'm like, at least it's that, you know, um, and she knows the Blondie song and she knows the lyrics and, right. you know, as opposed to like whatever pop artist of the days, one song sure. that yeah. on in 10 seconds. Yeah, totally. I have a one year old daughter, so obviously she's too young to yeah. you know, seek out music, but I play music for her all the time. And I'm just hoping I'm hoping that the good stuff like gets ingrained in her somehow, subconsciously, and she grows up, she's like. I want to hear Metallica. I want to hear this band. I want to hear that. You know, that's, that's what I'm hoping for. Fingers crossed. I mean, obviously she can listen to whatever she wants to listen to. I'm not going to force something down the throat, but I'm hoping that her choice is good. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I played, I remember, um, you know, when, when my daughter would go to bed, when she was your daughter's age and I would put her to bed. And so I had like the Metallica lullaby CD and I had had the Ramon one, you know, Um, there were a couple of other, there was a queen one that was pretty good. And then, um, you know, they actually made a Bob Marley one and I'm like, Oh wow. Just play them Bob Marley. You know, it's like, it's like just play the Bob Marley CD. Yeah, Bob Marley's not that jarring, you know. Version, you know? Um, but, you know, at least I was sort of conscious of that, you know. Like yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. you know, some Metallica song, like the melody will stick with her, you know, something. But and she, she hates what I like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Hates yeah. verb, you know, just out and out, can't stand it. <laughs> but sometimes it comes full circle, you know. Right, right. Yeah. We'll, She's we'll at that age. Yeah. In a few years, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. So how you take your, uh, you, you grew up this fan and then, you know, I've already mentioned how your work um, in the industry. Do you go right from being a fan into the record industry? Is there something in between there or? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, there was definitely a bit of a bridge, but sure. largely it came from, from being a fan. Um, and yeah. what was cool is right around, 83-ish, late 83, certainly early 84, I became very aware of the hardcore scene in New York. And so going to those shows and going to CBGB's matinees and seeing those bands, uh, you know, unbeknownst 
to me at the time, you know, I'm networking and I'm meeting all right. these fans and yeah. I had a fanzine at the time as well that we would awesome. sell at the shows and stuff. So that was another connection uh, mm-hmm. to people because we were reviewing the bands and the bands would like come up to us and thank us for even paying right. attention sure. to the band. So it became this, this big community, which is really what it was, especially in New York, um, you know, outside between bands at CBGB's matinees was as valuable as seeing the bands, you know, because of the people mm-hmm. that you met and the things that you learned and the demos you bought and the t-shirts sure. you bought and other fanzines and, you know, things like that. So it was a real incredible experience. And then sort of through that, and at the, oh, at the same time, I was helping out my friends who were in nuclear assault, right? So Danny Loker and John right, Connell. Yeah. And so I was like sort of a roadie, sort of like a helping to manage things, you know, just we were all friends and there was no formal like titles, but everybody just right. did whatever they could to help because it was that time, you know, it wasn't so sophisticated yet, especially underground aggressive music. And so everybody needed help. And I wound up in a meeting with Danny and John at Combat Records, their, their initial label. And they were really, this is right when Game Over came out, the first album. Mm-hmm. And they were really disappointed with how it was going with the label. And so I don't remember if it was Danny or John said to the owner that they were in the meeting with, you know, you should fire blah, 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 and hire him. And I was <laughs> like, you know, I thought I was just like driving them there and their friends sitting, sitting around on a couch while they had a meeting. Right. And so... I'm like, uh, I didn't say anything. I'm just still sitting there. Mm -hmm. And so now the owner of the company is talking to me and he's asking me questions. And, you know, my, my, my thing was sort of like, you know, you could spend all the money you want on these glossy, you know, ads and magazines, but have you ever bought a record from seeing one of those? Like ever, did you ever see an ad and, (laughs) you know, and, and you're spending thousands of dollars on this shit. Nobody buys records because of it. Um, um, you know, you need to be probably spending a little bit more energy on this, this, and this. And he goes, let me ask a question. How old are you? You know, um, <laughs> I'm 16, you know, and, and he's like, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not entertaining you leaving high school, you know, to uh, <laughs> work here. So I'm like, okay, I, I get it. I didn't come here for a job either, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he goes, but, you know, when you're done, you know, if you want to give me a call, maybe we'll find something for you. Cool, yeah. So, so I, I did, um, finished high school. I did a year of college, but I sort of knew I didn't really want to be there. I was doing Mm -hmm. it because I thought that's what I'm supposed to do. And then um, we had an issue with my student loan and I wound up not being able to go the second year. So I took him up on his offer and I called him. And so three weeks later, I was given a job at um, what was important record distributors at the time, which is on the back of Kill 'Em All, right? All the mega records were distributed by it. And uh, and I was a salesperson and I was going to sell records to indie stores. And so, you know, not the glory job, but at, you know, 18 or whatever, um, it was a great experience because cool. you having to communicate with all these record stores, right. find out why they wanted what they wanted and why they wouldn't take in certain records that they didn't want. And, you know, like I got to feed my kids, like, just give me, let's fill my store with Madonna records. Like, what's the point of, <laughs> buying some experimental underground metal album. Who cares? You know, so you saw a difference in their enthusiasm as far as trying to sell them things. And so that, that was my first job in the music business. And it was really valuable because, you know, again, that, that understanding that I got from, 
talking to record stores was huge. Right. Totally. And then how, how so where do you go from there? Then you oh, have yeah. your foot well, in the door. Yeah. So now I'm at this company, Important. And Important owns two labels. They own Relativity Records, which at the time the big artist was Joe Satriani. So mm -hmm. Surfing with the Alien was out and Platinum, you know, like shocked the world with this instrumental guitar album. And right. they really had Steve Vai and, and, and all that. So then you had Combat Records, which ultimately had a little sort of Bay Area thrash stuff, but had a lot mm -hmm. of death metal as well. Um, so they had Death and Dark Angel and, you know, those types of bands. But they also had a few hardcore bands. So they had Agnostic Front. They had the Cromag, uh, not the Cromags, Crumb Suckers. Um, they had Ludacris. They put out a couple of records, like a Circle Jerks record and an Exploited mm -hmm. record and a GBH record and things like that. But the, the bands that were active on that label um, it was Agnostic Front mostly. And they were a big band at the time uh, for that label, especially. And so I was a huge Agnostic Front fan. I'd been a fan since 1983. So now it's five years down the right. road and I'm in this record business thing. And we started to realize that they were getting criminally neglected by the people at the label because the metal music industry, as small as it kind of was for the indie thing, and you know there weren't a ton of big metal bands on major labels at that point. It was still like maybe the hair metal bands were kind of, you know, getting some love at the, at the majors, but they were sort of spending a lot of money on some of these bands that were just not as popular as agnostic front was. And we couldn't understand it for the life of us. And being from that scene and having a passion for it, we were like, no disrespect to death or dark angel or whatever, but they would play back to back nights with agnostic front agnostic front. The place would be packed and whatever. And then, you know, dark angel would play to 200 200 people in the same room, yeah. you know, AF played to 600 people and, you know, dark angel got a $1,500 guarantee and AF had to play for the door. And it just, it didn't make any sense. And it was right. just sort of, there was this sort of establishment surrounding the metal world that sure. didn't exist for, you know, punk and hardcore at that point mm -hmm. and you know punk and hardcore wasn't that new you know it's 88 you yeah. know already um 87 88 right. and you know it, it had been around for pushing a decade you know okay. um but but those bands were starting to seep into the you know wouldn't say mainstream but like the the established underground music world where mm -hmm. college radio cared and you know fanzines cared and that kind of stuff and so we were yeah. like why, why are they getting sort of shit on like this? So I started complaining to the head of purchasing at the company, like, you know, somebody should pay more attention to these bands. It's silly. You know, like you, if somebody cared and like did a little bit of marketing and whatever, I bet right. you could sell a lot of records, you know, by these bands. Yeah. So I was a pain in the ass enough that I was able to get them to start a new label called It Effect Records. And so we plucked agnostic front off of combat and then we did a deal where we were we licensed the first bad brains album to put out on cd for the first time nice, because yeah. like 87 is about when cd started to matter for underground music like mm -hmm. when it wasn't just going to be you know the top 200 albums in the country out on cd um <laughs> you know so we're like let's do that that's such a it's such a classic let's put that out and then we released the second um, Prong album, which had only been released on vinyl in England. And so we're like, let's put that out. So that was the first day 
of in effect records. So now I'm like running a label, (laughs) you know, and, and so that, that's how it happened. And, and the agnostic front album, the first one we did was live at CBGB's and it's sort of a greatest hits album. And, you know, the time was right. We did really well with all of these records, but the agnostic front album did very well. And then um, I signed, sick of it all and i signed awesome. killing time when they were raw deal and 24 yeah. 7 spies and scatterbrain and then eventually i got to put out um the nuclear assault album handle with care so it was this crazy nice. full circle thing yeah um, totally you know, cool. with having been their roadie and now i'm their label for their <laughs> biggest record you know yeah. that's awesome and it was just that we cared like we just right. we were very passionate about this music and we learned the music business as we went along because yeah. you can't teach what we knew um, yeah. underground music fans. You had to experience it. Like you were saying about the, even just having gone to record stores and been that kind of consumer that really cared mm-hmm. like that teach, you know, yeah. um, because you know, you, there's so much out there and not all of it's good, you know, and right. you know, and everybody has t- their taste. So, yeah. you know, and, and I got to, throw that out to like-minded people, you know, in the underground. And it was amazing. And, you know, through all of this, you know, yeah. everybody's a Metallica fan. And then, you know, <laughs> and, it, and it's and Slayer fan at this point too. And, yeah. you know, various other bands, but like Metallica changed, not just the music thing, but that business because Megaforce was able to sign this very challenging, you know, aggressive band make a record and have it be so in demand that it worked because Mm -hmm. if you weren't in demand going into the market at that time, you were in trouble because then you're in that position I'd been in of forcing stuff on on stores and they don't care, you know, but if kids are already coming into the store asking, I hear this band Metallica and the album's called kill them all. Do you have it? You know, that's what you dream of. You know, you want to at that time so that, you know, you didn't even know how many to press. Yeah, that's interesting. I was going to actually ask you about that. If you know, you thought that Metallica had any kind of influence on you know the record industry, especially when it came to those more underground bands, because they, I think, I feel like they were one of the first who really kind of broke down that wall for a lot of people. Yeah, I think that that's a hundred percent true, and that is exactly what they did i mean you had bands a little bit before kill em all and around the time of kill em all that were doing well as imports um right. so like we were talking about venom so <clears throat> when black metal came out there was no label for it in america so it was all imports and it was by far the biggest import of any genre of music there was in the country um, wow. So underground metal was there, but like an established pipeline to release records was yeah. not necessarily there like that, where, you know, um, it, it's kind of like a seamless thing. Like the album gets released, they start announcing it in the magazines, talk about it a little bit on college radio, right. fans, whatever. And then, you know, the demand builds up and kids start going to record stores and asking for it. And, you know, usually the first couple of weeks it runs its course and that's that because a lot of those bands don't really tour. So, you know, or tour regularly, right? So sure. you know, Venom came over here, did a couple of shows and went back to England and, you know, you didn't see them for another couple of years. Yeah. So, in, in America anyway. And so 
you know, Metallica and Megaforce in general. So you had like Metal Blade, Megaforce, you know, mm. Combat as well, starting to establish like a flow of records um, that were going to come out. So you had like Merciful Fate on, on Megaforce and Manowar right. and Anthrax. And so at that time, right? So then Slayer later in 83. Um, and so now there's like a little universe going on, yeah. you know? And Metallica, whether they were the absolute first in the market with their album or not, because I think they were pretty close if they weren't the first, mm -hmm. uh, Kill Em All, they made the biggest noise because to the, to the indie music world, they didn't know this was coming, you know? Right. And now kids are asking for it in record stores and every fanzine is talking about Metallica's demo or, you know, the appearance on yeah. Metal Mountain or they've got an advanced copy of Kill Em All and now there's this thing bubbling, you know? Yeah. And they didn't sell, you know, what they sell, like maybe 20,000 copies in the first few weeks or something like that. And that's, for that time, is outrageous. Mm -hmm. you know? Outrageous because their peers were doing fractions of that. That's crazy. There's something really special I always thought about, you know, the fan base of metal and hardcore and just rock in general where there seems to be and maybe it's because we've the genres always primarily lived on the outside of a lot of the industry but there's just this passion right and yeah. you you to like you you're willing to do more for the artists that you love because there's just that underlying passion that seems to run yeah. through so many of us and and it is just such a community even when that community grows and grows and grows like you can still go to a metallica show yeah. you, there'll be fifty thousand people there but I, the amount of times i've still have you know had a stranger me and him screaming in each other's face you know like right, right next to because we're, we're there for the same reason you right. know right. like we're all we're all there for the same cause it's just it's pretty amazing well, that's the thing, too, is that I think this kind of stuff, especially when it's young and it's early on and and all that. And then, like you said, carrying it on into their stadium days. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, basically, um, you know, it goes along with your identity and who you are. And, you know, for me, this whole distaste for like what became classic rock and the people who liked it, you know? So that was like your flag. You were like, I wanted to be different. I wanted yeah. people to look at me early on and be like, what the fuck is going on with that guy? You know, like <laughs> yeah. who are these bands that he likes or, yeah. you know, like that's, not, you know, we were into the, like, that's not music, you know, band. <laughs> like, it wasn't even just your parents saying it. It was like, <laughs> Like teenagers, you're yeah, like, yeah, other kids, yeah, what kind of loser are you? Um, but you carried that with you, and that seeking things out as opposed to accepting what's in front of you, right? So, right. even Metallica at their biggest, right? They're not you two, you know, mm -hmm. they're not a band that you could just have turned on the radio and heard. And listen, you two wasn't always on the radio either, but they've spent. Right, right you know, decades and decades on the radio, all we get is enter Sandman, you know? And it's like, that's once in a while. Um, yeah. So it really is different. The seeking out music person versus the, you know, the spoon fed kind of shit, you know? Yeah. And 
um, you know, I wasn't into the spoon fed. I didn't like that music. I didn't like the energy around that. I didn't, uh, I didn't like the people. Like I didn't, you know, and, and you know, listen, once it, once music gets to a certain level, you know, there's going to be lunkheads around you, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, all right, I probably didn't want to go to, you know, the quote unquote mainstream rock, hard rock show. Like I didn't enjoy Van Halen shows, even though I liked Van Halen, but like you went to like a priest and a maiden show and people are throwing M80s around the arena and (laughs) firework, you know, and throwing chairs. So it's like, you know, you had your own thing. I thought that was stupid too, you know, but, um, but it still was a different energy. Like, even if it was a little, there was a little bit of violent energy, you know, (laughs) Uh, so after your run at NFX, you transitioned into A&R for... Yeah, I went to Roadrunner after that. Yeah. And so had some really good years at Roadrunner, same thing, signed bands, uh, worked with a lot of great bands. So uh, Shelter, VOD, um, there's a band from New Jersey called Doggy Dog that a lot of people don't know in America, but we're absolutely huge overseas. Yeah. Um, you know... Um, Madball, that was another one that mm-hmm. did really, really well. Um, out of the ashes of Agnostic Front, it was Roger's little brother um, that I that I did a record with. And in effect, I did a, a seven inch, uh, the first Madball seven inch when Freddie the singer was twelve years old. Oh, wow. um, he was the singer, and and basically the rest of the band was Agnostic Front, and and uh, <laughs> you know they became Madball, and then later on they became like a full time band so i signed them like proper record deal um over at at roadrunner and then uh they're still going you know yeah Um, and then after roadrunner um i was there for five six years and then i got a job at at zomba music publishing which was a really interesting company because when i first was told about it and asked if i wanted to interview there i sort of didn't understand like similar to the important umbrella early on zomba Mm. was this umbrella uh, for Jive Records. And then uh, there was a label called Silvertone Records, which was originally started for the Stone Roses um, and became like Buddy Guy's label and right. like all the stuff. So it was a really interesting company. And Zamba uh, has a major history with Maiden, which I didn't realize. Mm-hmm. So um, basically, uh, the owner of Zamba was very close with the original managers who were still the managers for Maiden. Yeah. And so the company Sanctuary, which the head of Zamba helped form, I believe, um, was from the Maiden song. And so they, you know, cause they, they were, they were their managers and they started that company. And so, and then in exchange for some kind of business that went on, Zamba was the publisher for Iron Maiden, like for their entire oh, wow. career, but also like Diamond Head and like all yeah. this like great new wave of British heavy metal stuff. And I was right. shocked, by that, you know, and, um, you know, and they had Jive Records, which at the time was big R&B label, big hip hop label. Mm-hmm. And then right when I got there is when the teen pop thing kicked off with like Backstreet Boys and Britain. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, so, you know, that was an interesting time. And, yeah. You know, so I worked mostly for the publishing company. I did a lot of publishing deals. I worked with the Misfits at that time. I worked with Suicide Machines. I worked with Mudvayne. Um, mm-hmm. so these are all bands that I signed to publishing deals. And then I uh, I signed a band called Bowling for Soup. Mm-hmm. And it was like a complete, let's just see, you know, like what goes on. They had some really, 
they had some good songs, you know, yeah. and I went to see them and I thought they were great live. They were super funny and, you know, didn't take themselves seriously and they were just fucking great, you know? Yeah. And then they blow up and we have two platinum records and, right. you know, have a Grammy nomination and shit. And I just, yeah. there, were, there were no, no rock bands on drive. No, yeah. Yeah, they were yeah. the only one. And that's so funny. You know, and I remember asking them when I first met them, I was like, I was like, so what do you, you're cool with being on the same label as Britney Spears, you know? And they were like, they were like we think it's funny. I'm like, perfect. Because, because if you were going to start talking about your credibility, I was going to be like, get out of here. Like, my credibility, like you're in Denton, Texas, you know, playing to like 250 people. Um, so, but we had a great time, a great run. They made five albums for the label, you know, did really well. And that was another one, like Jarrett and Chris from that band, we just bonded over metal. You know, yeah, and we awesome. talked about metal all the time, and they were like <laughs> the kids in Texas that I was in New York. You know, yeah, that's great. It's so great to hear these stories because I feel like whoever I talk to, whether it's you, uh, Johnny Z, whoever I've had the privilege of speaking to for the podcast, it's always like a similar story where there's this passion, and then just things happen. The ball yeah. starts rolling, and then before you know it. You're like in the middle of this big thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like you're in the middle of this big thing and all the stuff's happening around you. And it's just, it's really amazing. That's really an interesting story. And what's cool is that people, you know, like Johnny Z, like when I was a kid and I was, you know, helping out anthrax and stuff and Scott, like, you know, we go to like Johnny Z's house, you know, and, and, you know, I'm a teenager. I'm 17 or so when that's happening. (laughs) And I'm just like, this is fucking megaforce you know what i mean and and, you know you're in the house i'm like if i go in the bathroom is there going to be like cliff burton's pick you know (laughs) you know what i mean like you thought like something that you're going to find some magical item under (laughs) under a couch you know and uh but it was amazing because like i really admired him you know and then Mm -hmm. i was a fan i didn't know brian at the time at all but like brian slagle you know who Mm -hmm. who i love the label you know so Um, so, you know, you want to know who Brian Slagle is and, you know, I got to spend time with Johnny Z and Marsha, you know, and became friends with Metal Maria and, and, and all of that. But we would see each other at shows too, you know, so it was out here in New York and you'd run into each other at Lamore and, and, and other shows and stuff. So it was a little bit more personal than like a Brian Slagle who you really had to know about from afar. Sure. So you have this amazing experience, uh, working for these various labels and these different roles, signing all these bands, working with all these bands. And then, and then it all blows up. <laughs> yeah. So the, so, so explain to me the transition to that, uh, writing. Yeah. So again, I, I did a fanzine when I was a kid, um, yeah. when I was like 15 or whatever. Um, so I always enjoyed it because I'm just opinionated. So it was sort of the best <laughs> way to, to like get, you know, your opinions out there. Sure. It was like, Thing with agnostic front it was like why the fuck are you ignoring them you know yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and who's gonna go and have that conversation with their label and say you're fucking up we could do better yeah. um so that was how i was with with the fanzine my friend john rooney and i like we we did the zine and we would be like why are people paying attention to this when there's this out here you know <laughs> yeah. like you know or why do people think that album's so great it sucks you know it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like people are just buying into a bunch of bullshit you know yeah and so um so basically, you know, the music industry really, really changed post 
file sharing and Napster sure. and all mm-hmm. that and, and iTunes and everything comes in and digital and, and streaming and stuff. And it's really Lars tried to warn everybody. <laughs> tried, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's, well, here's, it's a good example, right? Because, yeah. you know, I don't know the inner workings of all that time, but what I do sure. know is that the labels could have done a couple of different things when like Napster came about, right? Fans are using Napster. So your instinct is to like shut it down and panic, you know, because like they're stealing music, right? So you framed it as they're stealing music, which basically they were, you know, fans Mm -hmm. were doing that or at least not paying for it. So call it stealing. They definitely weren't paying for it. Yeah. But there was a culture around that and there was, it was a rebellion against a lot of things that were going on in the established music business. And the fans wanted to do something different. And so they wanted the album when they wanted it. They, if they wanted just the one song that they liked, they want the one song that they liked. They didn't want to pay $16.99 for a CD for the one song, have to go into a record store, hope they have it. You know, like all of those things were eliminated. So, Instead of kind of figuring out a way to incorporate what fans were doing with that into the modern music business, everybody panicked, everybody sued, you know, there were lawsuits, Mm -hmm. shut it all down, which I can't say I may not have felt the same way. I may have felt the same way too, because I don't think people understood it. You know, it was new and it was a whole different way of doing things and a very different way of passionate music fans getting music so that all happens and you know it it honestly becomes a mess because these new technologies and all these things just keep coming and the 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 music industry and when i say music industry i mean the handful of major labels Mm -hmm. um, because they're the bulk of the business and they're the ones that panic the most and Mm -hmm. you know and went nuts so they all tried to figure out how to like make this how to monetize it, how to make money off of it, shut down the ones they didn't like, whatever they did. Um, again, they didn't buy Napster for years, you know, um, right. BMG, I think bought it later on. Right. And then, but it was long, long after all the problems. And yeah. so my thing is it would have been smart to try to figure out how to own those companies and own that technology mm-hmm. and figure out how to make it work for fans, because if fans yeah. wanted to do that, then that's what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And the more you tell them they can't, forget it. It's it's parental warning stickers, you know. Yeah. It's once you say you're not supposed to listen to this, forget it. Mm-hmm. So keep putting it in the news. It's on the news now, you know. Right. Like don't don't yeah. you know steal music or whatever. Yeah. And people just went nuts, you know. It's like mm-hmm. it's like people with weed now. It's not cool because it's fucking legal. <laughs> you know, so like yeah. people got real excited when it was still you had to go find some food to provide for them. But you know, so the industry became that. You know, it became right. this: how do we work with this new stuff? And it really screwed things up. You know, and it, it devalued music quite a bit. And um, you know, people didn't want full albums anymore. And it was just, it became really different. And then you had the economy fucking up in 2008 and put it all together. And it was, the music business was a mess. And so that was the end of that for me. Uh, My last job was at Warner Chapel um, Music Publishing, which was a huge company, you know, Mm -hmm. but 
uh, you know, it just changed. Like there was no need for a lot of the creative people that had been there anymore. Um, a computer kind of did everything for you and, Mm -hmm. you know, you just didn't have to do that to that degree anymore. So, uh, I took a while to try to figure out like, what am I going to do? Like, am I trying to get back into this business or, or not? And it turned out that there was really no reason to try to go back there. Um, so I decided, um, completely on a whim really that I had this idea for a book and the book became my first, which was the merciless book of metal lists, mm-hmm. um, which I did with a friend named Sasha Jenkins. And Sasha's a real author. Like I was not an author. He had done books before. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and so he had a book out called, um, the book of rap lists. And if you're a fan, it was the most minutia filled, like you have to be a super fan to understand it at all kind of book about anything and everything hip hop. Right. Yeah. And it was so fucking great and so well done. It was just the best toilet book ever, you know, (laughs) and just, Thing like we were talking about before, like metal fans will go further, right? Yeah. It was the only genre, other genre I could think of where you could do that, you know, where yeah. you can have a book with that much tiny little detail mm-hmm. in it that people would care about. So I approached Sasha about doing a metal version, you know, of the same book, right. and he was totally into it. And so we did the first book, and you know, he had an agent already and, you know, a literary agent and I got introduced to him and he -hmm. told us what we should do to make a proposal for it and everything. We did about 10 pages of the book and we we got a publisher in like three weeks. It was unbelievable. And then um, going back to somebody like Metal Maria, I I hired her Mm -hmm. as a publicist for the book and she helped me get um, Kerry King to write a forward and she got Bill Anselmo to write the afterword. And I got lists from Brian Slagle and, mm-hmm. you know, Johnny Z and various band members and, you know, all yeah. this stuff about just stupid facts about metal in list form, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. And it was great. And we got a great reaction. And then it just, it just kept going, you know, from there. And now I've done seven books in seven years, which is shocking to me. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> again another example of things just snowballing and it happening. sort of happens you know yeah so what led to the abcs of metallica so for my fourth book there was a book i'd always wanted to do um i was working with a friend of mine named caves michael mcclear who's an old graffiti guy mm-hmm. and so we had this idea to do a hip hop alphabet book, an actual children's book. And so we were like, there's hip hop books everywhere, but there's no actual alphabet book. And again, he was in a group called the Lords of Brooklyn. So he was a rapper. He was a graffiti guy, great artist. And so we're like, let's put together a few pages, you know, for this, this idea, this hip hop alphabet book. And so we did it and I gave it to the agent, you know, and the agent gave it to some publishers and stuff. Nobody fucking wanted it. Nobody, <laughs> nobody understood it. Yeah. They were like, it's an adult book. Is this really for kids? Is it for the parent? Like, who's it for? I was like, yeah, yeah. sorry. It's a little unconventional. I know you don't know what to fucking do with that. <laughs> um, so, so we had a hard time forever, you know? Mm-hmm. And then eventually long story short, we found a few years later, we found somebody uh, who was willing to put it out. There was a publisher that I was, I helped launch actually. And it was the old owner of Roadrunner Records. He started a book oh, wow. publisher. 
everything. And so he loved the idea and his people loved the idea. So we, we put out the ABC's, uh, sorry, the uh, hip hop alphabet book. And it yeah. did really, really well. We went to a second pressing, like all oh, this. Yeah. And so then eventually they asked us if we wanted to do a second one. So we did hip hop alphabet two. And then fast forward, I think it was, it had to be February, 2018. I was going out to San Francisco with my family, just like for a week vacation. Mm -hmm. And I know Mark Ryder. Uh, Mark is an old friend and I worked with him uh, while he was at Epic and I was at Roadrunner because uh, Epic put out a Sepultura album. And so I was their product manager and I had to go over to Epic and like sort of help hand this off to like the people at Epic. Right. He was the product manager over at Epic and obviously later went on to Q Prime. Mm -hmm. And now he's, you know, um, the day to day guy for Metallica. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I called him up and I said, look, I'm coming out you know, let's get coffee or do something. And so he was like, cool. We set a day and a time. I was going to go out to Metallica HQ, which I'd never been to. Mm -hmm. So I was psyched to like see it because I'd seen photos of right. the virtual space and all that stuff. Yeah. So I was like, cool. So after I basically said, I'm going to have coffee with him, I'm like, man, if we're ever going to pitch something to Metallica, <laughs> now's the time, you know? Right, yeah with the guy who can make it happen if they like it. Yeah. So I talked to caves and I was like, let's do a Lars alphabet page. Let's do an Ellis for Lars. And so he did a drawing and I did a rhyme and it was much longer than the ones we'd done for hip hop alphabet, which were like these four line rhymes. Mm -hmm. um, I did 16 lines because I wanted to, I wanted them to understand that I really knew the band, that this wasn't sure. like a, I heard Enter Sandman and I'm a Metallica fan. And, <laughs> you know, like I really know like your story. Yeah. So like, I want you to, I want to gain some trust. And right. so we did this and then I get out to San Francisco. We were still working on it while I was there. And then I got the file and I went to, uh, you know, like a Kinko's or whatever the fuck I went to. And I created a 16 by 19, like glossy laser print. And I'm talking to Mark and he goes, he goes, I see like, you know, you're doing well with these hip hop alphabet books. Have you ever thought about doing something more metal leaning? And I'm like, funny, you should ask. <laughs> and I whip out the, the thing and I show it to him. And now he's like, He's like chuckling, you know, almost, you know, he thinks it's mm -hmm. like, do you think it's funny because it sucks or does he think it's funny? <laughs> yeah. you know? and he goes, he goes, I love it. He goes, I absolutely love it. And I think the guys are going to love it. So I'm like, okay, cool. I was like, I would love for you to show it to them. I was like, I could do this for all 26 letters. Mm -hmm. We have great ideas for illustrations. Like, you know, keep it fun. It's a kid's book. It's a real legit kid's book. So we're not going to go with any dark themes, you know, we'll keep it fun. And like, but the parents who love Metallica will appreciate it, you know, cause it'll sure. be, it'll be a real deal, but right. it'll be for kids. And yeah. so a few weeks later he had been with the band. Like he went to wherever they were and showed it to them. And he's like, let's make a Metallica alphabet book. I'm like, all right then. So, so that was the green light, you know, and that's, that's how awesome. that came to be. That's awesome. Yeah. I was wondering because there's a lot of books out there about Metallica, of course, but very few have the actual endorsement of the band. Yeah. Well, to me, I would have done one certainly without the endorsement of the band, but like having that opportunity to really just show it to them and totally. see if they'd be into it. I'm like, why yeah. wouldn't? Because, 
you know, it's, it would just be so much better with their stamp of approval as opposed to, you know, just an unauthorized book, which is just, it's not the same, you know, and, sure. you know, for them to have helped promote it and they were doing social media posts and I, right. you know, videos of both Kirk and Lars reading pages from the book. Like yeah. they read their pages, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, the biggest compliment I remember getting was uh, at one point, I'm talking to Mark, and this was before it's before James went into rehab um, when we were still working on it. It wasn't out yet. Mm -hmm. And he goes, he said to Mark, apparently, James says to Mark, who wrote it? Like, who wrote the words? And he's like, well, Howie wrote all the words. And he's like, did we help him at all? And <laughs> Mark's like, no, he goes, not a word. He goes, he goes the one thing I corrected is on the Lars rhyme, he wrote like he loves to listen to Motorhead. And I suggested he change it to he loves to listen to Deep Purple. <laughs> and he goes, that's the only comment I made on the entire book, basically, as far as the words. He goes, that's unbelievable. You know, like just sort of like, a, <laughs> how does he know all this shit, you know? Yeah. And so that to me was a compliment because that was like my entire motivation you know was like that's the, awesome i i know i i think i know what this is supposed to be you know and, that's awesome. and and for them to acknowledge it like that was awesome yeah for sure so what was the process of working with the band i i, I assume that um you know it's not like you were uh calling them up and be like hey guys i, I finished the letter c today i know it wasn't yeah, like right, that but right. but, but well, i mean did they have to like give their look at over the whole final product and give it yeah. there. So, so we did it in stages. Um, they were in various places as we went. So yeah. at some points they were on tour. At some points they were in rehearsal. Some points they were home. Um, so it took about three months to do. And we worked on it really fast because we wanted to get it out for, for the holidays last year. Yeah. Because we figured it would be such a great boost, you know, to put this out, you know, sure. around giving time. So, you yeah. know, this Thursday, the 26th of November is the one year anniversary of the book being out. Awesome. And so what was cool is I, I have to imagine, I know, forget, have to imagine they get pitched so much shit, you know, and they're hyper conscious of um, merchandising. Like they just don't want to be viewed as kiss, you know, that would like right. Gene Simmons would put his fucking name on anything, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, and does, you know, coffin. Yeah. Um, yeah. so they just don't want to be perceived that way. So they're very smart about what they choose to do, you know, and how they choose to do it. Um, and so they said, why don't you, let's come up with what the 26 letters are going to represent first. Um, so let's, A is going to be for this, B is going to be for this, C is going to be for this. Let's, let's nail all that in the first step. Let's, that's what we'll do. Okay. So. I made a list with three options for each letter. And I said, I highlighted one for each, like this is the one I think is the best that we should go for. So yeah. they went with my original list of 26, which was great. Oh, so wow. they didn't like balk at what I was into, you know, right. you. Um, so that was cool. And then they're like, what, what would the drawings be? B basically now that we know what the letters are going to represent, what do you think the drawings would be of for the most part? Like, what are you trying to represent? And that was interesting because in some cases I had to like 
start interpreting lyrics, you know, because mm. we had a few letters where, um, you know, uh, they were their lyrics or, or song lyrics or about yeah. a song title or whatever. And I had yeah. to write about what the song was about. And they haven't always been the most open and forthcoming about what their songs are about. You don't sure. see a lot of that out there where they're like, oh, we, you know, this is about whatever. I mean, one, you knew what that was about because of the yeah. video. Like the lyrics are pretty clear, but once the video came out, they told you very clearly what the song is about, things like right. that. So, but then, you know, you're trying to keep it kid friendly so that if a, a child is reading it, they're not going to be frightened by bloody soldiers, right? No arms, no legs. <laughs> but like, you're like, what do I do? You know, so yeah. came up with the idea of like the little green plastic men, you know? Um, yeah. And that was the drawing for that, you know? Um, so we got into that. And then I started to write the rhymes. And I would give it to them in batches, you know, so I'd give them like five or six at a time. And some were four lines, some were, you know, eight lines. We didn't mm -hmm. go too much further than that. And, you know, the, there was one thing that we did. Um, what page was it? Um, it was about, well, the rhyme was about, um, where was, I'm trying to remember which letter it was. Uh, Oh, it might have been Enter Sandman, actually, um, where, yeah, there's a kid um, in his room and on his dresser, we put a Virginia Tech sticker. And so what we found out was that there was a girl who had been a Metallica fan. I don't know if you remember this. Yeah, you do. Right. Yeah. Uh, of Virginia Tech. Mm -hmm. And so Mark was very adamant that we do something in tribute to, um, to this girl, you know, uh, mm -hmm. because of the Virginia tech sticker. And so we, and I guess what they did is they made a shirt like Virginia tech, like a friend of the girl made a shirt and they sold it exclusively in the uh, Virginia tech bookstore on campus and there's one of those things that Metallica did very quietly and raised a lot of money for the girl's family yeah. and, and the whole awesome. thing. So, yeah. so when we talked about, yes, we talked about sports teams in the rhyme that used enter Sandman. So the Yankees and things like that, mm -hmm. he wrote, according to ESPN, the biggest usage of the song is by the Virginia tech Hokies football team. Oh, and wow. there was a massive entering the stadium ritual with the song and I'd never seen it. I'm not a big college football guy. Yeah. And so, you know, I'd never seen this happen. And he goes, there's a huge thing that they do. So I, I'd like to have them mentioned. Um, so that was something we altered as well, you know, yeah. because bands, you know, interest. And yeah. so that was interesting. And I was like, I had no idea, you know, that they, wow, yeah. Virginia tech used the song that way like that. And so regularly. And what a interesting, you know, crossover just by chance that they do that, you know, pays tribute to the girl, like right. so many. Well, again, we had no idea. So it was a great little tie in just yeah. by like mentioning the Virginia Tech Hokies. Like, so it was like, you know, the song is used by the Yankees and the Virginia Tech Hokies too, like something like that. And, yeah. and it was just like a simple, you know, adjustment, but I would never have known to put something like that in there. Yeah. Uh, do you have any plans for, uh, your next book yet? Well, I mean, 
uh, oh, one more thing I should mention just about this one. Sure, we, definitely. Is that with the hip hop alphabet books, they're both uh, benefit um, nonprofits. So um, I talked to Mark about that fact, and they decided that Metallica would donate all of their proceeds uh, from their end to the All Within My Hands Foundation. Oh, that's so, awesome. So everything from the book on their end, they don't make a dime on the book. It all Amazing. goes all within my hands. And um, so that's a tremendous thing because I didn't even know until I sat with Mark that day how involved they were um, with that nonprofit and yeah. all the that it benefits. I had no idea that every show Metallica plays, you know, um, money goes to a local food bank or, you know, somebody who who, um, you know, uh, helps feed the homeless or, yeah. or whatever, except of course in Scandinavia where there's no homeless people. And, you know, <laughs> they, did other, they did other things with the money. I think they gave money to refugee organizations. <laughs> um, they're like, yeah, we got to like, we did this and we were in no Norway or something. And they're like, who should we give it to? <laughs> like, <laughs> we got, there are no homeless people here. Um, so, that was so then, yeah, like in August, uh, my latest book came out, which is, uh, it's is a, a book about uh, Pete and Lou Kohler, the guitarist and singer from oh, Sycamore. Awesome. Yeah. And so that's the most recent book that came out during this glorious pandemic. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but it's actually gone pretty well because, I mean, listen, Amazon sells most of your books, right? So yeah. at the end of the day, they weren't terribly affected. Um, and, you know, it's gone pretty well. And I just recently began working on a book with Vinny Stigma from Agnostic Front. Oh, and awesome. So, I'm doing that. And he is the most colorful, interesting <laughs> dude. Like I think, is it next week or the week after he turns 65, you know, uh -huh. um, and agnostic front played Kirk's horror thing, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, that's another thing, like going back to, to caves with the, the alphabet book, he, he was in, um, the obey your master art show that they did. Oh, wow. In yeah. He painted live at Orion in Jersey. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, so did a live painting with a bunch of other friends who were graffiti artists and they did a, a ride the lightning thing with a big subway car and oh, like, that's awesome. that. and it was amazing. So, um, so he, you know, he was involved with them too. So we just try to keep all the shit sort of family, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the best way to go, but it is really cool to hear sort of how so many things keep coming full circle for you, you know, and like, like <clears throat> working with agnostic front, you know, it's been, an ongoing relationship now in so many different ways for so many years. That's just amazing. Yeah. I mean, Roger, the singer did a book a couple of years back and I brought that book into the publisher and I was like, you should do this yeah. book. The book did really, really well. And then turned into that, that, you know, the Godfathers of hardcore movie, yeah. you know, and yeah, actually yeah. Just realized I'm wearing the shirt. <laughs> um, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like, these are all people to me, like they may not be Bob Dylan or whatever the fuck. Like, so, you know, voices of yesteryear where what they had to say still matters. Um, you know, if you look at agnostic front lyrics over the years from their last album to their first album, it all still is pertinent, you know, with mm -hmm. cops and government and stuff and, yeah. you know, racism and all these things. Um, you know, they've been talking about it for a long time and like it's all been kind of ignored, you know, mm -hmm. and we're still talking about it. Yeah, it's crazy. So you want to hear from these people? Totally. There's a, uh, I mean, it's unfortunate, but there's always uh, in 
there's that that's a message that always needs to be coming across and yeah. and hopefully one day it's a message we don't longer need to hear but there will always be an, a need for music with that energy and with that aggression there will always be you know an audience for it beyond the message and the lyrics too well there's that and then you know the thing is sometimes you see these and even lately like you're seeing when the election was going on you know in the last few months everything building up to it like you'd see some of the metal blogs like just do politics belong in hardcore <laughs> uh, belong in metal or, or yeah, hardcore? yeah. I'm just like, have you heard fucking war pigs? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, yeah. It's always been there. Yeah, if always. you chose to ignore it, whatever, but mm-hmm. it's always been there. It makes the whole thing more urgent and more interesting anyway. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways it like informs generations and it's a big deal. Yeah. And what a, like it's art, like the, let the artist dictate. Yeah. Like, if an artist does not want to get political, fine. Ooh. They they do not need oh, well. to get political. Yeah. If they do, fine. <laughs> then let them. You know, like, it's art. Let them be the artist, and the, let's not write these things like, oh, should we be allowing this? Should we be doing? It's art. Let it be art. Yeah, it's not for us to allow or not. Like you don't yeah. have to buy it, and you right. don't have to listen to it. It is what it is. Sure. Like you know, people. I have plenty of friends that are. You know, I am not a Trump guy. I'm a, a, a hate Trump guy, you know, so but I have friends that are Trump people, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like I don't hate them. You know, I probably think a little differently of them, but like, <laughs> but, but I don't instantly hate them yeah. because they have different views, you know, but if you start fucking with my rights, then that's a different thing. You know, yeah. um, it's like I have the right to not like what you say or, yeah. you know, not like what you want to see happen. That's fine. But like. I don't just hate you because of it, but the musicians who get on these crazy soapboxes, the dude from trapped or whatever, it's like, (laughs) all all you're doing is showing what a moron you are, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're just a racist moron. Yeah. I don't care about your, if you have actual political views, that's one thing, but you're just a fucking asshole. Well, well, that's the thing too, is when, you know, politics are pulled into extremes on both sides these days and so when musicians get pulled into those extremes it comes across but when you talk to most people most general people whether they're musicians or not you could like i'm not a trump guy either but i could talk to probably most trumpers i have family members who are trumpers Mm -hmm. i have friends who are trumpers i could I, i i'm you know i still love them i can talk to them and we can and we'll probably agree on most of the common things, you know, everybody wants a roof over their head. Everybody wants money coming. Everybody wants their family yeah. to be safe. Like people want the common needs, mm-hmm. but you know, when you have the guy from trapped and others, you just, that's, you know, I, I, it's, it's funny you mentioned that just because, well, one, I love all like the metal band shitting on them right. on a, like, uh, I know like Trivium's been after them and a bunch of, bunch of guys. Um, but I also saw too. They were he was they were just like banned from Facebook or whatever for like hate yeah. speech or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like well, that that's going beyond political. That's just yeah, yeah, being crazy. I mean, but yeah, listen, Facebook's gotten wacky too because I oh yeah, I got thrown in in Facebook jail like a few weeks back for writing <laughs> for writing the two words "ugly American" because I was talking about COC the band COC. Right. And I was yeah. talking about their old singer simon was in a band called the ugly americans 
Yeah. So I wrote <laughs> of the Americans in a post and I got banned for hate speech. <laughs> hate speech. <laughs> Ugly American. Uh, so we've got bigger problems. <laughs> yeah, that that is for sure. Um <laughs> so a few few quick questions to wrap yeah. up here. Favorite Metallica album? Oh, uh, Ride the Lightning. Yeah. What is it about the that Lightning album? Is my favorite. Because I think, you know, when, when you're into underground music, you think like you're waiting for the band to sell out. Like you're waiting for the yeah. next album to be like a complete sellout. Now I'm not of the mind that Metallica ever sold out. I think the black album is fucking great. Like, mm-hmm. so I'm not that person, but when you're into underground music and you want like that shit to be like your personal little band, yeah. um, which the band definitely does not want that. They want everybody to like them. (laughs) When I heard, I first heard a couple of the songs from Ride the Lightning live before I heard the album. But just before Ride the Lightning came out, there was a compilation in England on Music for Nations called Hell Comes to Your House. Mm -hmm. And Creeping Death was on there. And my local record store got it before they got ride the lightning um it you know it came out probably two to three weeks beforehand yeah i heard creeping death and i'm like holy fuck i was like <laughs> they you know what i mean like yeah. they actually topped themselves yeah. and so and i had heard fight fire with fire live so i knew like it was going to be there was going to be some super fast heavy stuff yeah, on yeah, the album yeah. um and i heard the song ride the lightning those were the three and I just thought the album was fucking great. And, uh, and I basically, you know, <laughs> when people started, there's a ballad on the album, you know, like, when you, start hearing that, like, you, you know, you're nuts, right? Like you're crazy. <laughs> right? like, the fact that your this is upsetting you, you know, is nuts. Yeah. And so just, I love the production of that album. I love yeah. the, the, urgency that they played with on that album i love the guitar tone mm-hmm. i just think it's like super in your face but there's some subtleties in there too um to me like when i think of metallica when i think of what i want to listen to when i hear metallica that's the album you know as yeah. much as i love kill them all and puppets and and you know all, all the merits to every album really you know uh it's funny because like in the merciless book of metalists um i think it was framed as uh, all of the merits of load and reload. Mm-hmm. And it was two blank pages. <laughs> so obviously we were fucking around a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was so not into those albums. You know? <laughs> it wasn't just the albums. It was the whole the image, yeah. change, everything that went with yeah. it. You know? um, but, you know, I could listen to some of those, some of those two albums now, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I think their last two were good, you know? Yeah. So I'm just, I love the band and I understand the need to evolve. You know, they're not young guys uh, mm-hmm. anymore. They're young at heart and, you know, expecting them to just make kill them all and ride the lightning over and over again is insane. You know? Yeah. And it wouldn't have been good. I don't think like everybody wanted master puppets part two in, you know, 1996 instead of load, but it wouldn't have worked. No. And it's, to me, it's pointless. You don't want a band yeah. to be just repeating themselves. And I love Slayer as much as the next person, but they got into a period there where they were essentially just making a similar record over and over yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, pe- people complained about, 
you know, South of Heaven when it came out. And now people love it, you know, and yeah. it's like it just had, took time to grow on people. And so then they made, you know, two, three albums in there that were just very similar, I think. And, yeah. you know, it wasn't about the songwriting. It was just about the style. And, and you know, it's not enough. Like, you know, right. if you're yeah. be a great band that's around forever, you know, yeah. and changing it up, it's not hurting them. No, it, it, and that's the, I think, too, like people look back, generally people look back on Load and Reload and they can think fonder of the albums because it's no longer, like, I think the fear of people was, what if this is the final Metallica album? This is going right. to be everybody's lasting impression of Metallica. Right. The yeah. short hair and the, you know, right. and the more in the Love different style. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. now you look back and it's like, it was a phase. Now they've, it, in so many ways, they've come full circle. And it, it all still sounds all like. Chapters. They're all chapters. In exactly. And when you look at any band, pretty much, with the possible exception of like ACDC or maybe a Slayer, like every artist has that, those different chapters, you know, yeah. of uh, those different phases of different sounds. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And like, look at, look at Lulu. I mean, I love that they made it as a separate thing for one. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big fan of it, but like, how do you not respect them making a fucking record? Totally. Are you crazy? Yeah. Like, that's an incredible idea. And, you know, I didn't love it, but I love what they, why they wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. And I love what they tried. And it's like, I, what are you, you going to hold Lulu against them? Like, <laughs> what did you expect? Like Master of Puppets? Like, they yeah. knew, you knew it wasn't going to be that. Yeah. And that's, I mean. And, and that was something I was talking about with my a couple episodes ago was like, it doesn't matter what they do. They don't ever like, de like they never, they never regress. They mm -hmm. just keep on growing and maintaining and still be relevant and still selling all stadiums. And, you know, cause every it, they're like they're one of the few bands, if not the only band I can really think of that has been around as long as they have, where it's like, they release one album. People are like, that's shit. Right. That sucks. Right. right. I can't wait to hear the next album. <laughs> right. They have the weirdest haters, right? They have the strangest haters. And, and people who just are so locked into their beliefs about them yeah. and what they think, and, but then, you know, want the next thing anyway. And then, like, like as much as we told people that the ABCs of Metallica, like, was going to benefit a major charity and feed homeless people. And, like, <laughs> that was not you, enough. <laughs> you, 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 still, you still got the, like, money grab. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, they just do anything for money. And people, then someone yeah. was right, like, you realize yeah. the album is charity, right? That book is for charity. <laughs> and they were like, oh, you know? Like, well, well, fuck Lulu, you know? Like, 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 really? Like, this is what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> Where's the new album? <laughs> I remember when, uh, during, like, the Load Reload, that whole, like, late 90s era, there and into, like, the early 2000s, like, internet was just becoming a thing in people's houses. Mm -hmm. And I and I remember, I don't know if I was at school or if I even had internet in my house now, but, you know, the old dial up and going to a website metallica sucks.com like somebody created a whole website about how much metallica sucks just because they wanted the 
and they were, I, and, I, and if memory serves me correctly, they were like, we'll take this website down when they, you know, go back to being Metallica. It's like, so you're still holding out hope that like your it's band's like, coming not, back, you know, not operating for you. you know? <laughs> yeah. like, you're not sitting there thinking about like your disdain for like an album that they've done. And yeah. like, Oh shit, we better change this up now. Yeah. Lars and James are sitting at HQ. Oh, we right. did you hear about that website? We got Dude from Metallica sucks hates us. <laughs> yeah. Um, favorite. Speaking of songs, favorite Metallica songs. Well, it happens to be "Creeping Death." Yeah. So "Creeping Death" will always be my favorite. Um, I think it's like sort of the perfect Metallica song. Uh, yeah. You know, from a riff to subject matter to intensity, all of that. Um, I love it. I can't stand that they play it too fast. I think every time they play live, um, they play it way too fast. So I don't know if that's one of those mm. large James battles, you know, where <laughs> Lars refuses to slow it down to the album speed a little bit. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'll never forget when I went to the big four at Yankee stadium and they opened with it. And I was like, Oh yeah. yeah I was this-? there at that show. I was like, this, this isn't going to go wrong. Like this is, yeah. fucking great. And, yeah. uh, but just, Again, and it's not just because it was the first thing I heard off my favorite Metallica album, because I love other songs, but that's Creeping Death to me is like, it is like if they could do a dozen Creeping Deaths on the next album, I'd be really happy. <laughs> I, for me, <clears throat> excuse me, for me, Master Puppets is my favorite yeah. song, which I know is an obvious choice, but it's just, to me, that's like eight Great minutes song. of like, it's like eight minutes in eight minutes. They capture everything they do well as yeah, a band. Right. I feel like, you know, yeah. but to your point, when I see the band live, there's nothing better than 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people just going, die. Oh die, God. Die. It's, it's like, like simultaneously energizing and asking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'll go with the energizing. It's great. Yeah. Like, it's a thing where like, Let's say I took my daughter to see Metallica and she saw that. She yeah. run out of the building, you know? Yeah. Like, there's still something about it. That's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I used to love um, when Jason Newstead was in the band with his background because he'd always, he'd always slip in the motherfucker to like, die, motherfucker, die. <laughs> die, like a completely unnecessary, yeah, yeah, but yeah. still amazing. <laughs> it was great. He was still the guy from Flotsam, like, and, you know, yeah. I'm like, I'm playing with them, it's great. <laughs> um so th- that leads that's a good segue though into my next uh question favorite your personal favorite metallica concert memory Ooh. or concert you went to that's a good one i mean <clears throat> probably <clears throat> the most or at least one of the most memorable was the 84 roseland show um which was them and raven and anthrax so yeah. that was night that the three bands got signed basically yeah. uh, to make labels so now metallica were in new york could do no wrong just you know unbelievable support for them here just crazy you know um so now they have this show which is essentially a megaforce show with raven was headlining so it was like a revisiting of the raven metallica tour of 83 right and a hint of the now Raven Anthrax tour that was coming, um, which was the Live at the Inferno tour. Um, so Anthrax played first, Hometown Sons, 
basically the last show with Neil Turbin. You know, mm -hmm. they were really good. People were psyched for them. But it was Metallica's night. You know, it was or before they yeah. even played the mode, it was Metallica's night. And they came out, and I remember they were particularly sloppy, you know, like they were really drunk or something that <laughs> night. And but they just played like a punk band, you know what I mean? They just yeah, yeah, yeah. rifled through the whole thing. Um, I forgot, I saw the set list not too long ago, and they played a good few Ride the Lightning songs, um, which was not out yet, actually. Mm -hmm. I think it was still just to come out, and uh, like even in the Megaforce version, I don't think it was out yet. I think it was yeah. about to come out. Um, and they, it was just one of those proud moments where you went from a year earlier seeing them open for Venom and like kind of barely knowing much about them yeah. to being fucking heroes, like underground heroes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were 3,500 people there at that show. Wow. And so for that many people to come to that show in 1984 totally. um, and then find out they probably could have even maybe done another night um, yeah. is sort of amazing. So that like, you know, that that bond and that camaraderie amongst the people in the room for that band, it all gelled at that show. You know, it yeah. was the like the torch is being passed right now, like yeah. there now, you know, so Raven great not this great you know and so that was a really incredible moment and i remember being wow. you know like i was 16 i was against the stage like first front row center in front of james you know yeah and it was like whole it was a holy shit kind of show you know yeah and and again raven was still really good but you could it was pointless like nobody could have gone on after them yeah that's that's amazing that you're there because that's the I mean that that's just legendary. That's the night that Michael Lago was there and yeah, scooped right. them up and signed them to Electra and that all I that. Believe, uh, sorry, that was August third or something. Yeah. Or, and you know, it was just it was an event. You know, it wasn't yeah. just going to going to a show. It was an event. And like the three nights that they played at Lemoore in '85 was amazing with them and Wasp and Armored Saint. That mm -hmm. was great. I saw them at the Rio Theater on Long Island in 84, uh, January of 84. That was another one where it was one of the first times you heard Ride the Lightning songs live. You know, right. um, Those are just – that was when you felt you were part of a movement, you know, with them. Yeah. And, and even after Kill Em All, like, it was still happening. Like, so it didn't just get big with the album. It was still, like, not everybody – kind of really new yet you know yeah, yeah and uh and you were like sort of proud to wear them as a badge you know mm. that's super cool yeah i what an exciting time you know just that well there were other bands too right yeah slayer was coming up and and various other things were happening and like you know on both coasts too both coast you know agnostic front put out their first album here too and right. then you had 83 you had suicidal starting to happen right you have um, just various other bands on the West Coast, you know, starting to, 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 you know, be heard, um, mm -hmm. and you know, Exodus. It's so crazy because I feel like it's like poor Exodus, you know, because <laughs> they were really ahead of everybody, and their album came yeah. out much later than everybody else's. Yeah, and, you know, and I love Bonded by Blood. It's like one of my favorite yeah. albums. But I, the fact that it didn't come out till '85 to me is insane. Yeah, and. Creeping Death, uh, originally borrowed from uh, right, right. Exodus soon, right you know. Hand, so right? yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so, and I didn't hear that demo till after I had heard, you know, Creeping Death. Yeah. And I was like, oh, but you know, it's like 
at least there was somebody in the band, you know, that was, you know, wound up in Metallica. But um, yeah. you hear that stuff sometimes and it's like, those are two completely different groups of people, you know, like yeah. go to rehearsal one day and hear yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's, yeah, it's just exactly the same. Howie, this was awesome. Uh, where can everybody find you online and what's the best place to go for your books and all that? Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm on um, Instagram. I'm on Facebook. So um, I think on Instagram and Twitter, I'm either how nice or how nice two one two. And, um, or you could just search me by name. I'm there. And then that's how I found you. And then, uh, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, Oh, he has a, a Twitter. I was, <laughs> awesome. I like, now, now I could put together the, the person with the podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, Never. I mean, I love if you would go to independent bookstores for the books, obviously, but you know, you can go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, they all have the ABCs of Metallica and it makes a great holiday gift. almost Thanksgiving and, and Christmas sure. and all people um so yeah i mean anywhere you know you normally get books and and uh and you know it's uh we'll see what's to come perfect well thank you so much for your time i loved hearing about your 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 stories your career it's really just been fascinating to uh hear your journey through the music industry and into uh and, and now you're still a fan and still very involved in all these bands, but in a completely yeah. different way. So it's just really awesome. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I've become somehow a professional fan. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't that the dream really. huge thank you to Howie for coming on Metallicast. What a great story he has from being a fan to working in the record industry to now being an author. If you have not checked out any of his books, I highly suggest you do so, especially, of course, the ABCs of Metallica. If you have a child at home like I do, purchase your copy for your son or daughter. Since this is audio only, you cannot see me doing uh, the air quotes. Uh, I'm going to purchase a copy for my one-year-old daughter, a.k.a. me. Uh, (laughs) No, it'll be for both of us. And Howie is a great guy. Please support him any way you can by purchasing his books at your local independent bookstore or due to COVID and convenience. Check it out at Amazon. There's a link in the episode description. There's also links to his social media accounts. So give him a follow on there. And please follow Metallicast on social at Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please, if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, make sure you download these episodes and please leave a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All these things go a long way in helping me get great guests like Howie Abrams on the show. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, mill up your ass. Yeah! Fans not experts.